So this morning we'll be looking at question number two of an Orthodox Catechism. Um, week one, the introduction to this series, um, I gave two weeks ago. Uh, if you want more of that background, um, some context on Hercules Collins, um, the author, um, and on the Catechism itself, you can listen to that. Um, I think that'll maybe be helpful as we move forward with these questions. So, uh, last week, Arnie looked at question number one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And then this morning, we'll look at question number two. What must we know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Now, if you were to go online and look at any of those, uh, there are several versions uh, online. So you'll hear me, as I teach through it at least, use uh, language from uh, this specific uh, reprint and language maybe from others, but it'll be similar language and it'll communicate the same, the same message. Um, but from uh, an Orthodox Catechism and this uh, reprint, how many things are necessary for you to know that enjoying this comfort, you may live and die happily? Now, uh, before I get into that, this really uh, picks up uh, off of question one. So what is your only comfort in life and death? Um, do you remember, or what are some things last week that were, were mentioned um, some things that you can think of now. Maybe we just spend, we'll spend maybe five minutes here just thinking through um, this question and the answers that were discussed last week. And that'll launch us into question two here. But I wanna, I wanna hear from you some things that were mentioned, uh, some things that you've thought about as you looked at those verses in the discussion last week. Um, so what is your only comfort in life and in death? Um, Anybody care to share? I can say, I think for me, the part about this, the second sentence of I am not my own, mm -hmm. that, that stood out. So it's, as much as I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, uh, and try to find comfort uh, in doing what I want to do, and if I'm not having it my way, that's causing me discomfort. This puts it in perspective mm -hmm. that um, good. I'm not my own. Yeah. So yeah. That's just good. That's good. Yep. Yeah. He will take care of me because I belong to him. Right. So yeah, and there's comfort in that, right? right? Yeah. That's good. Anything else? Verses that are there. <clears throat> Matt? The assurance of everlasting life. Yeah. Yes. And, and what and what the Trinity has planned in eternity past and not you know, based on anything we've done. Yes. Where the assurance comes from. Right. Yep. Yep. Something uh, 
namely God, something outside of ourselves is our deep assurance, um, our comfort, our joy, our strength. Like you know, Michelle mentioned, we're not uh, trying to conjure up this strength ourselves to will ourselves to uh, press on. Um, we don't have the strength. <laughs> we don't have the spiritual stamina uh, to think that in our own strength we could do anything but it is through the power of our triune God who has uh, predestined, determined, decreed our eternal salvation. Um, we neither formed it nor decreed it. We don't have the uh, power to uphold it, maintain it, um, because it is God who upholds it. He will see to it that we will make it to the end. Um, anything else, Norm? Right. If, it were, if, we were, if we were not so needy, there would be no need for God is at work in you. Yeah. Like right now, even as I'm saying this, he's at work in me somehow to get this out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We can do nothing. <laughs> nothing apart from the Lord. That's not just spiritual um, exercises, but tire shoes ourselves, our, our, our very organs, our ligaments, our tendons, our, our brain, our neurons upheld by his divine power. I want you to, sh just a little bit of what you shared yesterday at the uh, uh, baby shower um, about God's sovereignty. What you shared with me yesterday in the car. <clears throat> I'm putting Kareen on the spot. <laughs> it was good. I thought it was really good. And it, it seems to tie into this a bit. completely dependent upon the Lord um, and this is our comfort in life and in death um, so the the saint who's been saved three months and the one who's been saved for 60 years um, and is at the end of their life let's say uh, his comfort in as he approaches death is that his Lord upholds him and keeps him and sustains him um, and will bring him to himself. Um, our fathers in heaven, we are here on earth, um, but this is not our home. Our heaven is our heavenly home, this is our home. And so we can rest in the assurance uh, in the Holy Spirit, it says in the uh, answer, the Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. It makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. <clears throat> Praise be to God for his tender mercy towards us. Anything else anyone wanted to say before we launch into number question two here? Okay. Question two. Who wants to read that for us? Crystal, go for it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, sure. Go for it. Yeah. Um, three. The first, 
what is the greatness of my sin and misery? The second, how I am delivered from all my sin and misery. The third, what thanks I owe to God for this delivery. Okay. Yep. So another way we can read that question and answer is what must we know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. The first there. What is the greatness of my sin and misery? Now, the answer to question number two is broken really into three parts, as Crystal just read. Those three parts actually create this uh, threefold division of the entire catechism. The first part of an orthodox catechism deals with man's fall into sin, uh, their inability to keep the whole law of God perfectly, uh, and uh, the man are, are the source of, of man's wickedness. The second part of an orthodox catechism deals with the safety and joy of redemption that comes through the Lord Jesus alone. So first part deals with our wickedness, our misery. The second part, the joy that comes through redemption. And the third part of the catechism highlights our joyful response to that redemption and prayer and thankfulness. So the answer to question two is actually the blueprint for the whole catechism. This sort of threefold uh, part of of the catechism. Question two How can any person live in peace and die in comfort of their sins being fully paid by Christ's precious blood? Um, What peace do they have? What um, assurance do they have? Um, As that question says, uh, what is even necessary for them to know and to have that assurance of of peace and of joy? How can anybody rejoice in all the benefits of what Christ has purchased for them? How has the spirit worked in their hearts and in their minds to bring them to a place of confidence and assurance that they will be with the Lord forever? We recognize um, it's true that Christians uh, can struggle with with assurance and go through different seasons where they may wrestle with uh, Am, am I the Lord's? Does he hold me? Um, have I sinned? Is, is my sin too great? Is this sin, this, this, I've struggled with sins, but is this one the one that will keep me from him? Uh, will he turn me away because of it? How can a Christian have confidence and assurance that they are in the Lord? Um, this catechism question answers first, it may maybe seem like an oxymoron. How do you get to joy? first through seeing your misery and seeing the wickedness of our sinfulness. Um, in some sense, you go forward by going back um, and, and seeing who we are before a holy God. Um, and uh, and uh, Joy Fellowship, our ladies, I call it ladies group. <laughs> it's pretty much that. But it's a 55 plus ministry. So Ron and I facilitate that group right at this table on Tuesday morning. Um, and I call them the Joy Fellowship ladies, but it's open to men and women. Um, but in that group, we have several, well, we have a couple nurses. Um, one's been a nurse for, I don't know, 30 something years. And uh, the other, I think, was a nurse for, for some time. Um, and it's funny because I, I slipped up and I mentioned that I wasn't feeling well one day. 
And man, <laughs> the onslaught in the best way of the, you should consider this. You should do this. Have you gone here? I have this. Drink this. Sleep here. <laughs> Go to this doctor. <laughs> and it was a little overwhelming. Ron was there. He could attest to it. <laughs> um, but they just wanted to be helpful. They wanted to be useful. They wanted to, you know, care for me in that way. And I love, I, I have a bunch of surrogate mothers and grandmothers <laughs> in that group. And they all love me dearly. And I really appreciate them. But they wanted me to get aid for my sickness. And they wanted me to get it immediately. Like, I mean, like, leave here now where I can finish. Leave and go to the ER. <laughs> That's how adamant they, they were. Uh, the, I, the, the author of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Zacharias Ursinus, says, sin, our awareness of sin, knowledge of sin, ignites in us the desire of deliverance just as a knowledge of disease awakens a desire of medicine on the part of the sick. Where there is no knowledge of our misery, there is no deliverance sought. Just as the man who is ignorant of his disease never requires or inquires after a physician. You see what he's saying there? We have to see our sinfulness, recognize the depth of our own depravity. He says, he uses this language, it excites a desire for the medicine. In regeneration, the spirit makes us aware of our sin. No amount of quiet meditation or mindfulness or pursuit of inner peace can deal with the main issue that man deals with, which is his own depravity, his union with Adam, the thing that's in his heart. There are a lot of um, sort of uh, therapies uh, being propagated in the culture. Um, every, everyone's on this sort of mindfulness thing and protecting uh, my space and my aura and being around people that have a good vibe and makes me feel really good about myself and are affirming. And uh, everybody's meditating. It's just from the top to the bottom, the, uh, the actresses and the actors and the rappers and the gurus and everybody's, it's, it's just a thing in our culture. Um, but everybody's tiptoeing around the thing that we actually need, what our actual problem is. Uh, it's easy to put a balm on um, something on the skin, on the surface, it could heal, but the issue is the heart. Um, we're not dealing with the heart. In regeneration, the spirit makes us aware of our sin, um, shows us the condition of our heart. Between the sinful creature and their holy creator, the triune God, there is a chasm. Uh, and the issue is not one of distance. The issue is sin. Let's take a look at a few verses. Um, Romans 3, 9 to 11. Let's go there. And then also 1 John 1, 10. So first, uh, let me have someone go to Romans 3, 9 to 11. Who wants that? All right. Oh, um, Brian, can you read read um, 9 through 11 and then also read verse 23? Okay, okay? and then First uh, John 1, 10. Norm, yeah, you can read that for us. And then um, let's read 
Luke 24, 47. Crystal? Okay. And then, Matt, you can read Ecclesiastes 7.20. Okay? Everybody got those, those verses? verse there um, that puts all men on the same playing field so to speak and says that um, none of us are righteous um, none of us are able to produce any righteousness that God would, would accept um, all of us have gone astray all of us have fallen short of the glory of God uh, we fall short of the bullseye um, that, that, that language of, of, of sin um, has in mind there's one way to describe that is um, shooting when an archer shoots an arrow at, at a target there's a bullseye when the when the archer would miss the bullseye uh, the uh, officiant there would call out sin means he's, he's off he's, he's, he's missed the mark um, all of us miss the mark of the glory of God um, Next verse, First uh, John one ten. Who is that? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not All right. So even the denial of this reality of our sinfulness shows that we are sinners, right? <clears throat> um, Luke twenty four forty seven. Okay, repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The fact that we fall short of the glory of God and our, our actions <coughs> by virtue of our union with Adam, or our own actions attest to that reality. And then Ecclesiastes 7.20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Right. There is not a righteous man on earth. Just the same, the same affirmation. Um, I think it was maybe Norm a few weeks ago um, mentioned something that I've heard in the past, uh, but that the gospel of the diamond of the gospel shines uh, brightest on the backdrop of uh, our human depravity and our wickedness. Um, God is shown to be good and merciful and holy um, as we consider our own sinfulness. Um, <clears throat> a knowledge of our own sinfulness or misery as the catechism states it is necessary for the purpose of creating in us a desire for deliverance now a knowledge of sin isn't the cause of regeneration right knowledge of sin itself doesn't regenerate right the spirit does that a man knowing he's a sinner is not the same as him being saved right uh, it's 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 a motive it's what the Lord uses to um, uh, quicken, uh, awaken. The holy law of God shows us our sinfulness as it is a reflection of God's own holy character and righteousness. 
Mark 2.17 says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And who are the sinners? Who, who are the righteous? He's, uh, the, the Lord is not saying that there are some who are righteous who don't need salvation. Um, he's saying that there is no one who's righteous. The one who thinks he's righteous shows that he's in need of salvation. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Without the physician's report of sickness, the person that assumes they're healthy doesn't inquire. Yersina says, we would not seek it, for in itself it terrifies. Yet this terror is advantageous when it leads to the exercise of faith. No one wants to hear that they're sinners, that they can't do anything themselves. And when you strip them of their self-righteous garments, they're naked and exposed. And it's uncomfortable. And they rage at God and at believers as they preach the gospel to them faithfully. But this is necessary. He says, it, is a, it, it terrifies, yet the terror is good. It's advantageous as it leads them to exercise faith. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 10 says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that, you're, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So the Apostle Paul even distinguishes here, Spirit, the Apostle, that there is a distinction between these types of grief. <laughs> There's a grief that is um, a remorse, you can even say over the consequences of sin, right? When I was in the world sinning, there were consequences, um, and I grieved those consequences. Or I would say something like, oh, I know my mom raised me better, I know better than this, or you know, if I got caught by this, you know, authority, I'd be in trouble or I, I don't want this thing to happen. Um, but it wasn't a grief unto repentance and unto salvation. That happens only by the spirit. Something miraculous happens in the heart. That godly grief leads to repentance. It arrests the man by his, his misery and his sinful state. It shows him his helplessness and his hopeless condition. That godly grief is also arrested by the glory of Christ's righteousness and by grace through faith in Christ's substitutionary death. That righteousness can become his own. So he is grieved unto repentance. The law exposes our sinfulness. It's a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. I want to read a couple of uh, shorter paragraphs from our uh, confession here, the 1689, before we get into the second part of the answer to this question. Um, in chapter 15, I'm going to read paragraphs two and three. <clears throat> so remembering the relation between the, um, uh, an Orthodox catechism and the confession as well, even some of the language used meant to show a consistency between these two. But in chapter 15, paragraph 2, who has their confession with them? Anybody have it? <laughs> All right. Um, 
Brian, I'm going to have you read paragraph two, and then Tim, I'll have you read par paragraph three. Okay? Uh, paragraph two, there is no one who does good and does not sin. Even the best may fall into great sins and offenses through the power, of, through the power and deceitfulness of the corruption in them, along with the strength of temptation. Therefore, God has mercifully provided in the covenant of grace that believers who sin and fall will be renewed through repentance and salvation. Yeah, thank you. And the confession quoting, citing those verses, Ecclesiastes 7.20, which we read. Um, and then uh, paragraph 3. Tim, you want to read that? That, that same idea there, those same truths. By, the, by faith in Christ, humble themselves for it with godly sorrow, hatred of it, and self-loathing. Now, why do you think this is important? Um, it's important for many reasons, but why do you think it's important specifically when it comes down to preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel friends, family members, co-workers, the guy at Publix. Why is this important? What's the difference between this and some other ways that the gospel is shared that uh, doesn't have a place for the law of God or, or sin? Why is this understanding important and awareness of our sinfulness? Veronica? Right, yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Our need. Christ is the only way. What else? thankful is the the person yes. right when they get um, an, an over-the-counter you know <laughs> uh, drug to take you know, prescribed or recommended by their doctor versus them having an open-heart surgery right. and surviving yes. um, and we're going to talk about that in, in a bit the, the thankfulness there Norm. Uh, I don't remember it word for word but, um, 
What else? Any other thoughts on that? Sharing the gospel? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a general assumption that mankind has that God loves me and why wouldn't he? Like hmm. mentality, right? And it's true that you know, John 3.16 stands true, right? The gospel of the Lord, right? The gospel is for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Right. Um, but it's you have to balance that with the other things that we see in Scripture, that, that God is a holy God, and sin cannot stand in His presence. Not one sin can stand in His presence. Right. And the law of God functions in that capacity to expose us for who God is and who we are. Functions like that mirror. You look into it, and you see who God is, and simultaneously you see who you are in light of who God is. Kind of like we were looking at this morning in the prayer meeting. Yeah. Right? As he saw the Lord properly, he saw himself properly. Right. Um, and he was terrified <coughs> by what he saw in himself. Yeah. And and so is the, the law of God to the natural man. Yeah. As he sees himself for who he, who he truly is. As Paul said in Romans 7, that sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Right. Right? It's like, okay, I thought, yeah, I knew I wasn't perfect, but I didn't realize I was this wicked. Right. Um, and again, to Ronnie's point, that's what magnifies the grace of the Savior. Like, wow, like, you would come and deliver me from this. Right. Um, Amen. Take this upon yourself. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Mark? Just So let's look at the second part of this, this answer. <clears throat> How many things are necessary for you to know that enjoying this comfort, you may live and die happily? First, what is the greatness of my sin and misery? Second, how I am delivered from all sin and misery. How I am set free from my sin and misery. What must we know? We must know and believe the gospel. How a man can be set free and delivered from all his sin and misery. Sin brings a man low. It gives him the right estimation of himself. Um, it shows him how far short he falls of God's holy law. Uh, his miserable, desperate state is seen in the light of God's holiness. And he feels like Isaiah, undone, unclean, unholy. He responds like those in scripture when, they, when God reveals his glory through an angel uh, and they fall on their faces. That's, that's uh, in, in some sense, happens in the heart of the man who recognizes his own misery. Uh, G.H. Kirsten, in his sermons, in this, this uh, section of the catechism, he says, the dying unto the law is necessary for all men in order that they may by faith seek salvation only by grace. The law has no power to save lost sinners, for it was weak through the flesh. For what the law could not do, God sending his own son in the flesh of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And this happens through the perfect satisfying or satisfaction given 
by Christ to the law <clears throat> so that it lost its reigning, he says, in condemning power over those which are in Christ. Christ fully satisfying God's holy law. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and that in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Acts 4, 12 says, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, said earlier, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The exclusivity of Christ is essential for gospel proclamation because uh, you'll be led to believe or they'll try and convince you that you can have Christ and. Yes, you have the gospel. Yes, you have Christ's righteousness. But there's this and there's this. Uh, as soon as we add the end, it's a false gospel, right? We have to strip away all of these things uh, to show us our, our desperate need. Uh, in the confession, um, uh, in uh, chapter 11 on justification, uh, Brian, I'm going to have you read um, uh, paragraph three there. Sorry, I just threw you on the spot there. <laughs> uh, chapter 11, paragraph 3. Uh, by his obedience and death, Christ fully paid the death of all those who are justified. He endured in their place the penalty they deserve. By this sacrifice of himself and his bloodshed on the cross, he legitimately, really, and fully satisfied God's justice on their behalf. Yet their justification is based entirely on free grace. Because he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction were accepted in their place. These things were done freely, not because of anything in them, so that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God would be glorified in the justification of sins. Yeah. So this language that this paragraph uses in the confession, free grace, freely, over and against merited grace merited favor these things propagated in uh, roman catholic uh, system and doctrine for salvation this is freely the grace is a gift <laughs> it's it, it's not it's not earned and these were done these were these were done of christ or god's own free and sovereign will right um hebrews ten fourteen. let me have someone Someone read Hebrews 10, 14, and then someone else read 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Who wants Hebrews 10, 14? Mike? And then 1 Peter 1, all right, court. Hebrews 10, 14? Yep. All right. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All right. That uh, language in Hebrews you see as well it talks about the priests which stand each day uh, in the temple giving uh, offering and sacrifice and how Christ, uh, after he gave an offering once for all, sat down at the right hand of uh, the Father in glory, showing this distinction between continued work and finished work, standing daily in the temple versus sitting down at the right hand. 
Another way of saying it is finished. It is done. No need for a sacrificial system anymore. And then 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Thank you. The lamb without blemish or without spot. I mentioned this last week in the supper. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not sick. <laughs> in the supper exhortation, that's um, we are we we have things that we deserve the blame for. We have done things that we're guilty of. Uh, the lamb crisis without spot or blemish so when, when you see that this isn't um spotlessness for spotlessness sake um it's it's meant to point to uh the fact that the son needed to be a clean perfect spotless lamb in the place of the unrighteous the righteous for the unrighteous so when we read this language we can sort of gloss over these terms at times uh, blemish without blemish or spot, um, perfect, holy. Uh, these, th- this language is meant to say something about our condition and Christ's own righteousness um, in our place. All right, I spent a lot of time on first one, or the first part of that verse, more than I intended to. Um, so I'm going to go to the third part of the answer to this, this question. Um, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. <clears throat> How many things are necessary for you to know that enjoying this comfort, you may live and die happily? Part three of the answer, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. So Mark, I think it was Mark mentioned earlier, um, what a uh, knowledge salvation and what God has done in the believer, maybe Ron as well, what it produces in the Christian. It's thankfulness, it's gratefulness, it's gratitude. it's love for God and for uh, his, his, the, the, the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, 5 to 6, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, what? To the praise of his glorious grace. This uh, knowledge of sin, awareness of sin, the holy law of God that exposes us, uh, the redemption found in Christ, it produces thankfulness and gratefulness that we may, um, in uh, another uh, commentary on the, the catechism, says that we may return such gratitude is as acceptable to God who will not have us to be grateful under any form than that which he prescribed in his word. True gratitude is therefore not to be rendered according to our own notion, but it's to be learned from the word of God. What ought we to be thankful for? Our salvation. What ought, to, what ought we to be thankful and grateful for? The redemption found through Christ. Let me have someone go to Psalm 26 and read verses 4 through 7. Who wants that? Psalm 26, Crystal. Uh, Psalm 52, verse 2. Kareem. Psalm 100, verse 4. Mia. Um, and then Colossians 2, 6 to 8. Matt? Okay. 
Um, something else that um, is mentioned, uh, you're seeing this in this uh, commentary concerning this, this gratefulness and thankfulness, that we may know that whatever duties we perform towards God and our neighbor are not meritous, but are a declaration of our thankfulness. So you see, he doesn't put this uh, thankfulness, this uh, goodness to others in front of salvation as a means to earn it. He puts it behind salvation as a result of it, uh, that we are thankful and grateful that we even, he says, do good works. We don't do this in order to merit salvation, but they are a declaration. So even the good things we do are a declaration of our thankfulness to God, right? Not our own glory, but God's. For that which we do from gratitude, we acknowledge we have not deserved, he says. Psalm 26, 4 to 7. Okay. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling what you've done. Telling of your grace, your mercy, your salvation, your redemption, your kindness, your goodness. Uh, Psalm 52, 2, or I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 95, 2. Who had that? I had it. Oh. Yep, 1995 too. Right. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. All right. And then Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and have blessed name. Okay. So, you know, when we, we, we have the opportunity to do this all the time, but we're going to have the opportunity to do this in just a few minutes. <laughs> when we gather together, when we sing, when we hear scripture read, when we pray together, um, all of this is opportunity, occasion to give thanks. Uh, the Lord's day, um, as we hear the word preached and God speaks to us as the word is faithfully preached, it ought to be an occasion of thanksgiving, um, which is why we have to guard ourselves, I do too, from the distractions of the other six days of work and labor and focus our minds gratefully on the word preached and on God's means of grace that we may be and in thankfulness and thanksgiving and, and gratefulness. Uh, Colossians 2, 6 to 8. Who had that? Oh, Matt. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right. So the Christian goes, um, in some sense, from glory to glory, and his thanksgiving, and his gratefulness, and his gratitude. Right? This isn't a, a one-off occasion. It isn't just on the Lord's Day. But as believers uh, who uh, possess Christ, have the mind of Christ by the Spirit, um, are owned by God, possessed by the Spirit, we ought to be grateful, thankful people. Um, often with uh, just trying to produce thankfulness in my own heart, when I find myself complaining about something, um, the antidote in my practice is to think of something, find something, 
And you don't have to look far <laughs> to be thankful for, to be grateful for, for salvation, uh, for repentance, for the gift of grace, uh, for a house to live in, clothes to wear, food to eat, uh, family, uh, church. All these things are things we ought to be thankful for, but most deeply our salvation and the person and work of Christ on, on our behalf. We should not get tired of beating the drum of <laughs> thankfulness for, for the mercies of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and this is part of what's being emphasized in this. Gratefulness and thankfulness. We see our sin, law exposes it. We consider our redemption, which is deep and real and necessary, and we are grateful and thankful for it. Okay. All right, let me, I'll, I'll close out there and then we'll pick up next week on question three. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for um, giving us your holy scriptures, for our, uh, your glory displayed, seen in them. We thank you, Lord, for your, your holy law and your holy character, which exposes our sinfulness. We thank you for redemption found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to be people that are grateful and thankful constantly, always, for what you have uh, done and displaying your own kindness and your own glory. Um, even if you hadn't saved, you would still be glorious. But thanks be to God that you have displayed your mercy to fallen creatures. Um, and we have the opportunity and privilege to uh, point to direct our affections and mind and lives to this glory that is revealed in our triune God. Uh, Lord, bless us now as we enter into the corporate worship room and may you uh, uh, show yourself uh, kind to us and meet us there where your means of grace are given for our nourishment, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.